Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I just don't see Taysom Hill scoring enough points without Sean Payton, both his big money tackles. Plus Snoop, he's got this crowd buzzing, man. I'm on the buck. You got Snoop. Well, you know I'm going to have to go with the home team. I'm going to go with Tom Brady and the Bucks. I'm going with the Bucks. I agree with what he said. I like the Bucks tonight. Uh, I'm with you, Mike. I like the Bucks as well. I'm going with Snoop. Click clacking and you know what's happening. So it's going to be Tampa Bay for me, coach. I, I'm going to pick the Bucks also. I will not make the mistake that all of you are making right now. I'm taking the Saints. Well done, New Orleans Saints Twitter account putting together that video roasting all of us. Unlike last year, Mike Golick, when everyone on the pregame show picked the Bucks, and there was no Drew Brees there to save us, he was there to make us look like idiots. This year, he's there to save us from the clean sweep, although in so doing, he underscores the fact that the rest of us do indeed remain idiots. With that, welcome into the program. It's PFT Live, Peacock, NBCSN, Sirius XM 85 podcast, wherever you get them, and Sky Sports, our good friends in the UK and in Ireland. Happy holidays to everyone out there. It's Christmas week. There's a, a good, happy spirit in the air, and We'll do what we can over the course of the next two hours to not kill it. That's my goal today. Mike, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. And quite honestly, Mike, I would have had the clown nose and the clown hair and everything as well because I would have, I would have done the same thing. I would have picked the Bucks. I would have been right there with everybody. But, but, but Drew, and you could see why Drew you know, picked who he picked. But it's amazing what the Saints have been doing to Tampa Bay these last couple of years in the regular season. It, it's been something. Uh, so we'll see where that goes, the sweep of Tampa Bay in the regular season. But overall, I mean, five division winners have lost so far. So every week we come on this show and every week we just seem to be amazed at how the playoff picture keeps changing. It's also packed together, and that makes every game feel so significant, especially when you get an outcome that you didn't expect. And as that game's unfolding, I'm getting that pit in my stomach that, is this really happening again? I start thinking, well, did I miss some signs? Was there some indication? Was there some reason to believe? And no, 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 no. The Buccaneers had 
figured things out. They'd been winning. They'd beaten the Bills, and yeah, they had the big lead, and they blew it, and they, they, had, to, they had to win. Light. But it, it still, it felt like they were rolling, especially at home. They were playing very well at home. My theory is they won a Super Bowl there back in February. It makes every time they're in that stadium special. They still get a little lift from it. Maybe that's worn off. To the extent that that was a thing, it's definitely worn off because last night it was zero points in 60 minutes for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And in two games in Tampa – with Tom Brady at quarterback and the Saints as the opponent. The combined score now 47-3. to They avoided the shutout loss last year on a Sunday night. They lost 38-3 at home to the Saints. This game becomes the third shutout of Tom Brady's entire career. December 10, 2006 against the Dolphins, 21-0. That was a game where Nick Saban admitted afterward they were studying TV copy to get the cadence from Tom Brady, and they cracked the code and figured it out. 31 nothing week one of the 2003 season. That was the Tom Jackson, the Patriots hate their coach game after they cut lawyer Malloy right before the start of the season and Malloy landed in Buffalo. Other than that, no shutouts for Tom Brady. That's what's amazing, Mike. This offensive machine that the Bucs have built scored zero points, especially with the disruption the Saints had where Sean Payton's not there and their defense coordinator, Dennis Allen, has to run the whole show. So, you know, obviously a few things to look at here, um, but, but clamping down on that Tampa Bay offense, we got to give New Orleans credit, which we certainly will. Let's also remember Tampa Bay lost Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and Fournette as well. So, I mean, they lost their top three receivers. You could see the frustration with Tom Brady trying to move guys and line them up where they're supposed to go because sometimes the other guys just aren't getting enough reps. doesn't mean they don't have to know their assignments and should know their assignments, but they're not worked with as much as the number one guys who have been out. Give, that being said, now, because, listen, the Saints, when those guys were in the game, were still shutting Tampa Bay out. So while they were missing those guys, and I'm sure they missed those guys, they were still being shut out as those guys were getting hurt and leaving the game. So while Dennis Allen was taken over as head coach, give him all the credit in the world for that defense. And, you know, you say it, it's the simplest thing. We would always say this as defensive players when you're playing against a great offense and a great quarterback. And it's, it's not rocket science, Mike. Hit him. Hit him. Hit, 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 hit. Hit the head of the snake. Step on the head of the snake, and you will, you will eventually see success. When you get a guy like Tom Brady, who doesn't get hit a lot and doesn't move very well, they frustrated the hell out of him. Four sacks. Or Cameron Jordan has two of those sacks. I mean, they were, and, and forgetting just sacks, it's the hits. It's the disruptions that frustrates Brady and makes him move, makes him try and run. He fumbles the ball throwing interception. So that adage never changes. I don't care how great you are, nobody likes to get hit, especially the quarterback. And they hit him time and time and time again. And you add that again to the frustration of losing your top receivers and not being able to do anything. And the frustration builds until you throw a tablet on the sideline, you know, and, and break it. So Really, to me, this one goes to Dennis Allen. This one goes to those de defensive players for the Saints for getting the job done the way they did. Actually, the frustration builds until you go over to Dennis Allen and you tell him, go F yourself right in his face. I'm still not 100% sure that's Dennis Allen, but I guess it was because he was asked about it after the game and he tried to downplay it as it's just football. Well, it's a brand of football that we rarely see. I wonder how Microsoft feels about that. You're going to have to pay for that, Tom Brady. I hope you have the money <laughs> somewhere squirreled away in your accounts. <laughs> Um, Mike, a couple of things, though. 
because these are great. There he is again. I can't, I just I was stunned by that. And if you can read lips, you know that he did say something that he shouldn't have said. He said after the game, it's just football that happens. But um, as to the injuries, there was a sense last year with their receivers that and the running backs they were interchangeable parts. Somebody gets hurt, we plug somebody else in, and it still goes. Somebody else gets hurt, we plug somebody in. And I know they're they're getting Antonio Brown back today. And frankly, I mean, he could show up with a whole deck of vaccination cards that are fake today. He could make a T-shirt out of his fake vaccination <laughs> card, walk in the door with double-barreled middle fingers at Bruce Arians, and they're not cutting him today because today they need him. Yesterday they didn't. But with Evans out, and he got hit hard, and he's got a hamstring problem. He knew immediately he was done. With Godwin's knee injury that I'm surprised wasn't a torn ACL, they need Antonio Brown moving yeah. forward. And Leonard Fournette, who has been doing such a great job catching passes, they need him too. But, Mike, somebody told me a few years ago about Brady. He'll be able to throw like he does into his 50s. But when you get hit, when you start getting hit, when you're 43, 44, 45, 46, and you're getting hit, that's when you, you know, start to utter the time-honored Danny Glover line from the original Lethal Weapon movie and from every sequel because it became his catchphrase, I'm getting too old for this, S-T. That's when you got to watch it all fall apart for Tom Brady. If, if this starts happening on a regular basis, that's when you have to start thinking the, the walls may finally close in. And look, we've been waiting for the walls to close in for 10 years. But at some point, they will. And the kind of night last night, if that becomes a habit... That's when the walls are closing in. Well, listen, I agree on that, but but that's been one of the things that's gone on with Tom. It hasn't happened. He's had a heck of an old line in front of him. That offensive line struggled last night. Again, give the Saints credit. Cameron Jordan working on Tristan Wirfs, who has been playing, you know, as a rookie, was should have been, you know, an, an all-pro. He's been dynamite since he's coming to the league in the short time he's been there. He struggled last night. They had a rough game last night. It, it, it happens, you know? Just what Danny Glover said, as happens, it does. And it happened last night, <laughs> though it keeps happening to the Saints in the regular season. That's the interesting thing. You know, again, Tampa Bay won last year when they needed to in the playoffs, and that's the bottom line. It's amazing. A team that hasn't won the division since 07 is, is uh, defending Super Bowl champs right now. But New Orleans, this just builds, has to build confidence for them, but they have to obviously do it if they make it into the playoffs and they put themselves in position uh, to do that now as the playoff picture just continues to change. But, you know, you sit there and say at 44, 45, 46, I guarantee you, you feel those hits more, but quarterbacks hate those hits to 24, 25, and 26. Now, they can handle them better because they're younger, so I, I agree with you uh, that, that they, you start collecting them at an older age, you're going to feel it. And you know what, as far as it's football, he's right. You know, that's why whenever there's a blow-up on the sideline or a blow-up on the field, I am always one to say, listen, that happens. It's like, it's like in NASCAR when they get those microphones. Imagine if you could get a microphone right away on a football player like they do in NASCAR when these guys are ready to, to, to punch each other right after the races or after a wreck. I mean, it is the emotion of the moment. So throwing the tablet, I don't know why he's going over to Dennis Allen. You know, they had his number. You know, I mean, you should have went over and said, hey, you know what? Nice friggin' job tonight you did on me. <laughs> but that, that is, it is the emotion of football. And he got frustrated. And you know what? As, as the GOAT, it doesn't happen often. That's why you're the GOAT. So when it happens, it sometimes, you know, has kind of a multiplying effect on you. Well, and, you know, I, I'm conflicted in my, I, I guess, 
how best do I put it? It's nice to have a human moment from a guy that you believe over 20 years has morphed into a robot. So, so I, I, that's where my, yeah. my glee comes from. People are like, why are you enjoying this so much? It's nice to see that he can be as cheap and superficial and petty as the rest of us <laughs> because it holds out hope that Pinocchio really is a real boy. That's what that's, I, I like that. That after every success he's had and whatever work he's had done, and I think he's had a little work done over the past 20 years because there's no way he's doing the Benjamin Button thing, you know, without some assistance from the uh, medical community. It's nice to see a human moment from the guy, Mike. Oh, listen, I, I, I agree. Because especially in all the years in, in New England, you think everybody's a robot because that's how you're, you're kind of supposed to act there. They, they kind of, you know, bring you into the way they want you to deal with the media and deal with the public. But we've seen him more humanized since he's gone to Tampa Bay, having more fun and being, you know, more that guy, that ball player. And this, this is one of those moments, man. I mean, he had a lot to be front. That whole team, you know, he's not alone. The spotlight's going to be on him, obviously. There's a lot of guys on that team, and, you know, but to sit there and look at, at, at the other side of the ball, though, I mean, the, for Tampa Bay and their defense under Todd Bowles, they played well. They gave up nine points. You give up nine points and your offense is run by Tom Brady, you got to think you're winning that game. You hold that team to three field goals. You don't let them in the end zone. Now, it's not like New Orleans has this juggernaut offense anyway, but the defense did a hell of a job. You know, giving up nine. Now, what they'll say is, well, we shouldn't have given up any like the other team did. You know, we could have gone into overtime. But still, you know, the defense has played well in this one. You know, the offenses did not. Obviously, in Tampa Bay, at least New Orleans, they put up a couple of points. But again, I'm, I, this is this – is, everybody should be frustrated on that team. The defensive side, frustrated for the fact they held the offense to nine points and still couldn't win that game. So, yeah, I mean, I, it's not shocking that we saw it out of Tom because he is human, and the expectation is to go back to the Super Bowl and win back-to-back -back Super Bowls. But I, I think we do find out, and you made a really good point, is a lot of times with Tom and guys like Peyton Manning and guys like that, you, you make stars out of players you don't know as well, right? So if you get guys hurt and others come in, you're kind of supposed to keep rolling. Well, that didn't happen. That didn't happen last night. You found out you lose one two, three, your three top receivers, it's going to have an effect. Couple that with your line struggled last night. You're getting hit more than you did in a while, and it all adds up to a loss, but shockingly, a shutout loss. Brady has now lost four straight time to the Saints in the regular season. That's the first time that's ever happened to him in his career that he's got four straight losses to the same opponent. They did win, as you pointed out earlier, the one that counted last year in the postseason in New Orleans. That game was not going Tampa Bay's way until Antoine Winfield ripped the ball out from Jared Cook's hands, and Devin White basically took the game over after that. That's when the door opened for Tampa Bay to win it. It makes it more significant, considering they still can't beat the Saints in the regular season. Bucks fall down to three. They had the opportunity, with the Cardinals losing yesterday, and we'll talk about that, to stay in the chase for the one seed. They're now the three seed. The Saints jump into the playoff picture as the seven seed. Let's hear a little bit from Bruce Arians and Tom Brady before we pivot to the Cardinals game on that devastating and unexpected 9-0 loss to the Saints last night. 
Bruce, you, get, you guys had, had put a lot in, in wanting to be able to win a, dis, a division title on your home field. How much does it hurt? You guys are going to win this division at some point, but how much does it hurt not to have that? It hurts more losing all the players we lost. We lost about seven starters in this game, so I'm, I'm more concerned about that right now. I don't think we we're you know much good of anything tonight. Just I wish it was just one thing. It was a lot of things. So we got to do better in every every facet of offensive football to to uh, you know score points. We're not going to win scoring no points. Man, I, I tell you, talk, talk about a human moment. Shows up in the bacon neck white T-shirt. I'd like to wear that on the show. That's comfy. That's that's not the Tom Brady I'm used to. Again, that's I love that. I just I, I I'd like a little chaos, and I like a little human moment. And Tom Brady last night, uh, we, we got a lot of human from Tom Brady. Yeah, we did. And listen, because he wore it. You know, I'm going to wear it uh, next week in the show. I'm wearing a bacon neck t-shirt. I'm just going to do it because he did. I feel I feel I can right now. But, but again, I, I, I got to go back. While the story is going to be Tampa Bay, you know, and, and they keep losing New Orleans in the regular season, I got to give New Orleans so much credit. I yep. guess as a former defensive player, when you see a team shut out an offense this potent, so they lose their outside guys in Godwin and Evans, so they really don't have that outside the, the hash threat. And then New Orleans did a great job covering up the middle of the field. They did a great job, a great job of clogging the middle of the field where the tight ends are trying to, you know, between Brait and, and Gronkowski are trying to run their routes. They did a masterful job. And, you know, people are going to say, okay, well, let's look at the blueprint. What are they doing? The blueprint was Brady got hit. The blueprint was the defensive line was beating the offensive line in their one-on-one pass rusher. Sometimes, sometimes it's not, you know, this unbelievable game plan breakdown, which – it, it, there, well, there was to a point here, like I said, they did a great job clogging the middle of the field. But at the end of the day, the, the game, Mike, boils down to you have a man over you. That man's trying to beat you. You're trying to beat him. Last night, the Saints, especially that D-line, was beating that offensive line, and they were beating Tom Brady into the ground. That was the difference in the game. And uh, that made all the difference in the world for the Saints and for the Bucks. It was the lowest scoring game of the year. Mike Tirico mentioned that on the way out the door last night at the NBC broadcast, but it still felt like one of the more exciting because it was just so unexpected and there was drama and there was that question started to creep into the third quarter. Will the Buccaneers actually score a point? And they clearly did not. The Cardinals scored some points, but not nearly enough. When we did this show a week ago, Mike, the Cardinals were 10-2. and two. The Cardinals were flying high. The Cardinals justifiably had that vibe where people still aren't giving us the credit that we deserve. And they had won seven out of seven road games by double-digit margins. And they were potentially going to be the first team in league history to win eight games on the road by double digits. They still have one more chance against the Cowboys, but based on the, the way they played yesterday – 30-12 to 12 loss in Detroit. I'm not quite sure that's going to happen. It is amazing. The Cardinals losing to the Lions, and it's the first time in NFL history a team with one win or fewer beat a 10-plus a, a win team by double digits. The Cardinals fall all the way to number four. And, you know, they got to worry about losing the division now to the Rams, Mike. Oh, they, they absolutely do. Like I said, we, we show this graphic every single Monday, and it just continues to change. It's amazing. So here again, we will Arizona, as we should, because they're the team that's going to be in the Paw Detroit and what they're doing. The game plan again, Aaron Glenn, the defensive coordinator, had against his Cardinal team. So here's... We just talked about New Orleans, 
in a stationary quarterback in Brady, so you know where he is and you got the hits on. It certainly can be a little more difficult. Quarterback. But Detroit did They took away Kyler Murray's running. I mean, in this game, four rushes for three. They didn't let him escape. You kick all the time. You say, don't let a quarterback. Don't let him get outside. Don't let him step up and get outside because now he's got a two-way go. He can pass it or he can kill you. Well, Detroit did a great job again. You talk about this as a game plan, but then you, you know it, it, it's it's the time you play against the Cardinals. You don't want to let them run to hurt you. That it's said by every team. Every team has it in their game plan. But then it gets difficult to execute because he's he's such a great versatile quarterback in that way. But in this game, Detroit was able to do it. They took away his running games. They took away his. I think uh, Connor stood silver money out of the backfield. Him catching a ball out of the backfield has been impressive. But they did a great job bottling him up. Let's have a listen to Cliff Kingsbury, the coach of the Arizona Cardinals, who understandably was not thrilled with the effort across the board in the 30-12 loss in Detroit. Obviously pissed um, to come out and play like that. Uh, that's not who we want to be or what we want to be, but I, I got to tell my hat to Detroit. I thought they had a tremendous plan. Like I said, they outcoached us, outplayed us, and um, we got to be better. The big question with the Cardinals going into the game yesterday was whether or not they can show up and win in a big moment. We'd seen them lose in prime time to the Green Bay Packers in Week 8. We'd seen them lose to the Rams in prime time last Monday night. We'd seen them lose to Cam Newton in his I'm back game. Those were the three losses for the Cardinals. That's why I think they weren't getting the credit that they wanted. When we were paying attention to them, they weren't getting it done. Well, now yesterday in a game where we just assumed, check the box, Cardinals win. Maybe it's an easy cover for the Arizona Cardinals against the Lions team that got their win. They got their win. They're coasting now. You got guys that may not be thinking about trying to win football games. Guys are just kind of punching the clock through the rest of the year. The Cardinals have things to play for. The Cardinals have every reason to convince themselves and everyone else that everything is fine now, that it's okay, that it was a glitch. It was an aberration on Monday night. They could have and should have won that game, but the Cardinals didn't show up. That's a troubling loss. That's more troubling to me than anything else we saw yesterday. The fact that the Cardinals lost to the Lions the way they did, the way they looked, the lack of energy, it, it makes me wonder whether or not they really are going to have the proper focus as the intensity increases down the stretch and into the playoffs. That had been the question. Do they have the maturity? Do they have the leadership to win these key games? And maybe they don't, especially with DeAndre Hopkins injured, even though he wasn't generating gigantic numbers his presence helps open up the offense well he's gone at least into the postseason and maybe the Cardinals will be gone by the time DeAndre Hopkins is ready to go let's go ahead and take a quick break we'll continue to break down the week 15 Sunday that was when this Monday edition of PFT Live continues right after this around any corner Within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, 
Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Hop, hop, hooray. Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday, March 31st. Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two-Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just $30. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone, plus spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150 with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features the owner's manual for important operating instructions. Great game in Baltimore on Sunday for the Packers. Allowed them to move into the driver's seat in the NFC. They are now the one seed. Hey, folks, it's January 30 this year, later than ever for the NFC Championship game. You don't want to go to Lambeau Field. The tundra will be even more frozen than usual. But the Packers with the 14-point lead in the fourth quarter, Mike, they hold on thanks to, for the second time in three Sundays, the fateful decision by John Harbaugh, the coach of the Baltimore Ravens, to go for two after the touchdown that was scored that cut it to a one-point game. That's going to be the thing everyone's talking about between Brandon Staley's decision to be so aggressive on Thursday night over and over again and the Chargers lost to the Chiefs. The Ravens going for two, going for the potential win late in the game. It's two games, and I don't know what would have happened. Look, the Steelers game, if they make it, they win. Last night, if they make it, there's no guarantee that they're going to keep Aaron Rodgers from leading his team in position for a game-winning field goal. But, you know, what what used to be unconventional has become very conventional for the National Football League. And Tyler Huntley's great game, first Ravens player ever with two touchdown passes and two touchdowns rushing in the same game in the team's history. Lamar Jackson had never done it. It's wasted on the fact that this two-point conversion, and here it is, not a big fan of the play, not a big fan of the options when you have a dynamic quarterback like that, and it didn't have a, it never had a chance, Mike. Well, I mean, listen, for a couple things. First, I have no problem with going for the two-point. Now, when they did it against Pittsburgh, he said, you know, we were running out of cornerbacks, don't know what they would have done in overtime. Here, he just felt like, you know what, we had a better chance to win it here than maybe in overtime. So from that standpoint, it's kind of like, listen, when I play blackjack and I have a 16, dealer showing seven or higher, I'm hitting every single time. Every time I'm hitting. I'm just consistently going to do it. And John Harbaugh seems to be consistently a guy that's going to go for two in those situations. So I, I don't have a problem with it. The problem you have is with the play. Now, the play, yeah, wasn't the greatest in the world. You're splitting out Andrews. He's got a million catches. you got to figure they're going to him. While Tyler Huntley had a phenomenal game, he probably wants that pass back. That pass has got to be to the outside. It's got to be right by the front pylon. So that is a really putting the pass right on the mark there. It was too far behind. And also, you relied on the one guy, and Andrews is not a bad guy to rely on, but you got a wide-open receiver, a wide-open receiver, crossing the back of the end zone. 
So while you put everything in your Andrews basket, I get it. All Huntley has to do is just peek a little bit to the left and in a blur, he's got a receiver coming over wide open in the back of the end zone. So again, kind of like Pittsburgh, the play was there. TJ Watt did a really nice job there. Here, Huntley's throw was off, number one. And number two, you got a wide open guy in the back of the end zone. Well, and the way the play was designed, Mike, the pocket rolls to the right. Huntley rolls to the right. So he's going to have to stop all of his momentum and look back against the grain to spot that guy open. I don't know why you do that. I don't know why you take away half the field. When you have a guy who can move like Huntley can move, and when Lamar Jackson's out, the offense is the same. Cause Hunt, and this, hey, hey, kids, this is what coaches need to do. You need to have your backup quarterback play a similar style of football as your starter. When you have a dramatic change from your starter to your backup, you need two playbooks. This way, they can run the same offense. They put the uh, guy in who's got this similar skill set. Why are you taking away half the field? Why are you stripping his legs from the equation? I like the idea of keeping the ball in his hands, but I don't like the idea of cutting the field in half and, and pushing him. Just watch the whole flow of the play. He's not going to see that guy wide open because they're rushing him over that way. They telegraph what they were going to do. I hated the play. And, Mike, that gets back to a broader point that I have when it comes to this question of going for two or going for it on fourth down and not kicking a field goal. Because the kick attempt, it's very mechanical. We know what it is. And there's a certain percentage that are made. There's a certain percentage that are missed. And with the Ravens, the percentage is higher because you have one of the best kickers in the history of the game. But when you go for two, the percentages take a back seat to the question of how much did you work on your two-point conversion plays in practice that week? How do you feel about your menu of two-point conversion or short yardage plays that you would use? Where are you going to go? What's your first choice? What's your second choice? What's your third choice? What do you think, what does your scouting tell you about their ability to stop that play? Where are the weaknesses in your short yardage offense? Where are the weaknesses in their short yardage defense? Where are the strengths? It's a much more complicated analysis. So ultimately, when it it's done and it fails, well, I understand the mindset and I want to talk about the psychology of that in a second. But, Mike, what people lose sight of is the notion that it's so much more complicated than just flipping a coin or rolling dice when you're talking about going for two. There is that interconnection between what kind of prep you've put in, what kind of prep they've put in, and how your selected play is going to match up with their selected defense. Well, listen, I, I, I got to give John Harbaugh the benefit of the doubt. He goes for two a number of times, so I got to believe that they, that they work on that play an awful lot. And Huntley was getting reps during the week because Lamar Jackson was still hurt, so it's not like he's coming in cold off the bench. So you, you, and you may not like the play. I get what you're saying. Listen, anytime you're rolling out, you're cutting out half the field. And when you're at the two, three-yard line, the field is shrunk. So if you get any extra defenders over there, you're basically screwed because the whole idea of the rollout is to get a quick pass or you have the option to run. He had no option to run because the defense did, did, uh, did a great job. But I, I have no problem giving John Harbaugh the benefit of the doubt that he can come up with a play. Listen, they came up with a play. Give Green Bay credit. They defensed the play well. I think a better throw would have at least given them a chance. Now, maybe that has something to do with, with Huntley being a backup, though he had, a, he had an incredible game. 
I still think maybe we'll, we're going to disagree a little bit. I don't think he would have had to completely stop to hit the receiver coming across the back of the end zone. He was flying across the back of the end zone. I think he could have kept running, just thrown back across his body a little bit and had it. But the, but the issue was he didn't even look that way. This was for Andrews the entire way. It was a quick roll. It was a quick pass. They were going to live and die with it. They were going to live and die with the guy who had the most catches during the game, that it hurt Green Bay the most during the game, and that's what they were going to do. So they live with it, and Green Bay did a good job. But I, I really don't have an issue with Harbaugh and his preparation for two-point plays. Well, I, I do because the two times he used them, they didn't work. So there's, there's some, something's not right there. We can give him the benefit yeah, of the doubt true. all we want. But the ultimate benefit <laughs> of the doubt comes from whether or not they work. It's pass-fail. It's pass-fail, and he's got two Fs on his report card. True. You know, um, but, but here's the other side That's of it, Mike, and, and we talked about this a little bit last night on the set of Football Night in America in the, in the uh, Applebee's digital segment that we do. When they went for two against the Steelers two weeks ago, there were 11 seconds left in the game. Ben Roethlisberger is not going to lead the Steelers into field goal range with 11 seconds. So it was up or down, win or lose, very binary at that point. Great job by the control room pulling this up. And there it is. They could have had it. If they convert that, it's over. You see 12 seconds on the clock at the time of the kickoff that would have happened. They don't have to worry about the Steelers taking the victory from them and having the extra incentive to get themselves in field goal position because there's no overtime at that point. They're down by a point. I raise that because, Mike, we saw Aaron Rodgers do this against the 49ers earlier this year. You give him 42 seconds. You give Aaron Rodgers 42 seconds, and you give him the extra sense of urgency that comes from knowing, I got to get my team in field goal position or we're done. I, I, if it's overtime, you got a little bit of a, you know, you're less likely to take a chance. You're less likely to go for it on fourth down if a fourth down would roll around in those 42 seconds that are left. If you have three straight incompletions, you're going to punt it. You're not going to go for it on fourth down and then give the Ravens a chance to kick a field goal and walk off as the winners. There's a different mindset if it's 31-31 versus 32-31 in the final 42 seconds, and you're dealing with Aaron Rodgers. That, to me, got lost in the sauce in all of this. That To me, I think that's enough to say... I'll just take the one here because my euphoria of, of successfully getting two points may be short-lived. Yeah, listen, we're going to disagree on this one because, remember, they were down, what, 30, 31-14, 31-17, you know, and they, they came back to tie it. So they were rolling at that point. So, again, I, I don't have a problem with them trying you know, I, I keep reverting back to blackjack. If I hit on 16 and the dealer's got an eight showing and I bust, I'm going to do it the next time again. I'm going to consistently do it. And I know it's a little different, you know, me losing, you know, a dollar at the blackjack table and now twice, you know, the, the Baltimore Ravens losing a game. Because you're right. The ultimate test is, did it work or not? And two times it has not worked. But uh, again, I... I I guess I just believe John Harbaugh is taking everything into consideration. I don't think he's flying by the seat of his pants and saying, oh, God, what do we do here? Oh, let's just try and go for two. I do believe he understands that it's Aaron Rodgers that they're giving the ball back to and who they're going into overtime with and what the, what the situation is in the game. I just think at that point they made a comeback all the way uh, to possibly tie it if they kicked it. They were hot right now, so they just kept it going, and it didn't work. And ultimately, you are correct. That's what you're judged on. 
You tried it and it didn't work. So now that's a mark that goes against you. By the way, in week three for the Packers, they got the ball back down one point with 37 seconds to play. So they actually had five seconds less than they would have had against the Ravens. And and look, I I agree with you. The Ravens were hot. They had managed to scratch and claw their way back into it. After the game, John Harbaugh addressed his decision to go for two. Let's have a quick listen. Yeah, I'm just going to try to get the win right there. You know, in, in overtime, I think our chances of winning right there were a little bit higher than in overtime, maybe, if you calculate it out. But Felt good about it. Thought we had a good play. And, uh, you know, again, they made a really good play. I got to give that safety a lot of credit for getting out there and tipping that ball. Hey, Mike, I got I got one other point I want to make about it. And then I have another observation that I want to bounce off of you. So I got two more things I want to cover on this game. One, this goes back to what Mike Tomlin said, the, the Steelers coach, after the game two weeks ago when the Steelers stopped them on fourth, uh, not on fourth down, but when they were going for two. Tomlin said that, The Ravens are predictable in these situations. Now, even though the analytics a couple of weeks ago were close on whether or not to go for two or go for one, from the Steelers' perspective, it's I think the better thing to say is the Ravens are predictable in their willingness to be aggressive in those situations. You know they're going to go for two. This gets back to what we talked about a few minutes ago. How much extra time and effort and prep and planning and midnight oil burning did the Packers put in to their two-point defense to their short yardage goal line defense because they know that it may come down to this game may come down to this we know how the Ravens are we know we got to be ready because we know how they are games close late they're going to go for two instead of going for one we got to be ready so now that that you know it didn't stop a guy from being wide ass open across the middle of the field as you said but I wonder how much? And this is where I, I've been making this point. I think the best thing a coach can be on all things is unpredictable, because the more you show your hand, the more guidance you give the other team to prepare for who you are and what you are. And uh, unless Joe Barry and the Packers were going to tell, and they're not going to tell us, they're not going to be candid about it. They don't want to take us behind the curtain. I just wonder how much extra planning and prep went into being ready for that moment last night if that moment came, because that moment did indeed arrive. Oh, I can't. Listen, just as much prep that the Ravens, I'm sure, use working on these plays. Yeah, the the other team knows exactly what Harbaugh likes to do, so they're going to be ready as well. I completely agree with you. So if if we're going to fault anything, first, give, give credit to the other teams, the Steelers and the Packers, for defensing it. Now you could ask the question, is Baltimore's, not that they're going for two, but their play selection. I mean, we, we always say, my God, throw it to your best receiver. Well, Mark Andrews is their best receiver. Now, you know, in the, in the, the Pittsburgh game, he's going out in the flat. And in this game, he's lined up wide. So you have to understand when, he, when John Harbaugh said, give the safety credit for coming over there. Well, hell, I mean, I think everybody in the world knew you were going to throw it there. And I still think in more of an outside throw, they may have had a chance. But yeah, they're, they're going to understand where Mark Andrews is, who they want to throw to. So if, you, if, if we want to sit there and really break this down, maybe there's one side of it that says you, always, you throw it to your best player. He's the guy that helped get you there. You throw it to him. And again, maybe a better throw would have helped. If it's more outside, maybe, this, maybe the safety isn't able to tip it. But maybe it's also look for someone different. You know, but then, then you know what happens, Mike? If they look for someone different, 
and it's incomplete, it's like, why the hell aren't you throwing it to Andrews? He's got a million catches, throw it to the guy. So when it doesn't work, you almost can't win in how you're going to do it. But yeah, there is no doubt anybody playing the Baltimore Ravens is going to look at their two-point conversion plays and understand that they're probably going to see a two-point play or two in a game. So they, they absolutely are going to be working on it. And from the Ravens' perspective, if they know that the safety is going to crash down, all the more reason for Tyler Huntley to be ready to make that read back to the middle of the field. And you know what? Maybe Harbaugh didn't want to throw his guy under the bus. Maybe Huntley just blew that. Maybe Huntley was supposed to look back, watch the safety. The safety goes to Andrews. You go back the other way and find somebody in that vacated zone. If the safety doesn't crash down on Andrews, you throw it to Andrews. There's a chance Huntley just screwed that up and that uh, – John Harbaugh is not going to come out and say that publicly when the guy had such a great game, stepping in yet again for Lamar Jackson. One last point about this. I know we've got to get on to the other games, but, but there's so many layers and levels to this that fascinate me. When the Ravens are down 14 points and they score their first touchdown, they go for one. Some would say that's when they should have gone for two. That's when they should have tried to put themselves in position that the next touchdown – a one-pointer gives you the lead. That's something that Doug Peterson started to do with the Eagles a few years ago. You see it from time to time, and it's funny. Sometimes announcers still act surprised when they see it happen. It's become something that is used enough that it's not a surprise when it happens anymore. And I think it's evolved to the point where last night, hey, if you are going to go for two, why didn't you go for two on your first touchdown to get yourself to that spot? Because if you fail on the first one, you know on the next one you go for two to tie it up and force overtime. But if you're going to make that decision to be aggressive, why not do it at an unpredictable time? It gets back to what I'm saying about being unpredictable. That may have been a better opportunity for the Ravens to go for two. Uh, from, from that side of, of when to go for two, I, I agree. Because then you have two shots if you need it. If you need it and don't get it the first time, you get a second chance uh, to tie the game to do it. So I, I, I get that, especially for a team that likes to use the two-point play. So I, I definitely understand that. I, I, when Doug Peterson did it, we all realized, you know, what the reasoning was for it. You know, as, as things started to change in the NFL where you're starting to see the two-point conversion more, you started to understand some of the reasons of why they're doing it. And that's a valid point. If you like doing it, do it then. Then you get another touchdown if you make that one. An extra point gives you that one-point lead anyway. So, or if not, you, you get two shots at it. So I agree. I agree, and I'm sure it's something Harbaugh knows about, but just felt, you know, that, that his team was in a, in, a, in a good position this last one. Listen, as, as I'm giving Harbaugh a lot of benefit of the doubt, but nobody's perfect. You know, he may be second-guessing himself, you know, in the meetings today. He may be thinking about the same thing. Maybe I should have gone for two after, you know, the first touchdown that we got. Don't know. Uh, but, but I know, you know, he's a, he's a great coach that's been around for a while, and he has to think about things, but that doesn't mean, you know, you make the perfect decision every single time. Three straight losses by a total of four points for the Ravens. They've gone from eight and three to eight and six now. And there has to be plenty of torment for a guy who is ridiculously competitive. It's one of the reasons why he's such a great coach. And this has to be driving him crazy that they've lost these three games when all of them could have been victories for the Baltimore Ravens. The Bengals got a much-needed victory in Denver, 15-10. to This was a game where the Broncos were favored to win the game by three points, which was stunning to me. The Broncos felt like the 7-6 and team that didn't belong. 
The Bengals, the seven and six team that should have been a lot better than seven and six. The Bengals do get that victory. They move for now to the top of the AFC North. The Browns can actually technically with tiebreakers and every other waving of the magic wand end up in first place if they win the game later this afternoon against the Raiders. But the Bengals are in first place and the Broncos playoff chances take a huge hit. Nobody expected them to be one of the seven teams. I was amazed they were on the right side of 500 this late in the season. And they didn't get blown off the field. They have nothing to be ashamed of. But uh, the Bengals ultimately do what we we thought they were going to do, what they should have been doing, which is winning more football games. Yeah, and, and first and foremost, we, we all hope, and, and it looked like, you know, Teddy Bridgewater, who got carted off the field, taken to the hospital, was moving all his extremities, so a lot of that precautionary. We hope everything is going to be all right. Drew Locke had to finish that game. Uh, but for Cincinnati, I, I think, Mike, when you start digging into the game and looking at it, you think, what a nice job of pulling out a win when basically the two guys you rely on the most from a receiver standpoint, they weren't heavily involved. Jamar Chase has one reception. T. Higgins has two. It's Tyler Boyd that led the way. So yeah, I, I kind of like that, being able to show the versatility of saying, we know the guys we normally count on. Well, they weren't our guys tonight or today, so we had to go somewhere else, and we're able to get that win. I thought they were going to get the win anyway, but to be able to get it off of another receiver, I think I, I think is a really a, a big moment for a team that has been losing for years and years and is trying to find the consistent side of winning. I love the fact that they were able to do that. And listen, turnovers help. Was Khalid Kareem taking the ball away from uh, Drew Locke after they run into one another was, a, was kind of a crazy play. But I kind of like the way... Cincinnati pulled this one off. And you mentioned it, you know, they're at the top now. And, and, and actually, if the Browns win out, I believe they win the division. Now they're playing the Raiders, the Packers, the Steelers, and then the Bengals in the last game. So we'll wait and see. But this has turned into one heck of a race that we thought Baltimore was going to start to pull away from. Well, they haven't done that now, as we just talked about. So, you know, who's going to eventually take control of that division? But I really thought a nice win uh, for the Cincinnati Bengals, again, not going uh, and the main receiver not being one of the two stars that they have. It really is amazing. AFC North at this point of the season, all four teams still above 500 and all of them alive to win the division. You mentioned Teddy Bridgewater. We got the word last night from the team during Football Night in America that he was diagnosed with a concussion. They had performed a CAT scan and other diagnostic tests. Everything was normal. They kept him overnight in the hospital as a precaution, movement in his extremities. But, you know, Mike, we've seen this happen a few times. It happened to Donald Parham on Thursday night, the Chargers tight end. That that moment when you hit your head kind of face first on the ground, there isn't much you can do uh, to really protect yourself in that spot. It happens so fast, and that's what happened to Teddy Bridgewater. He kind of got hit on the way down. It's just a reminder that no matter how safe the NFL tries to make the sport and the NFL has been doing a nice job of eliminating unnecessary hits of stripping some of those big brutal hits out of the game many of them now gone there's certain things you just can't avoid and what happened last night I don't know what rule change I don't know what modification I don't know what tweak could be made to take that out it's a risk that is there for all players and uh, it's just the, the good news is we know we hold our breath every time it happens and we just hope for good news and for Teddy Bridgewater it looks like everything's going to be fine Listen, Mike, you know, you can try and make the game safer with rules, and, and that's what they tried to do, and I understand it. 
But the game's never going to be safe. It's a violent game. These are large, fast men that are hitting each other at full speed. So while they're trying to take some of that away as far as the head contact, and I get it, the, you know, the missling, the head down, one of the things that's never going away is your head is going to hit the ground. Whether it's face first, whether it's receiver that falls backward and you see them land on their back and then their head snaps back and the back of their head hits the ground, there's no rule change for that. that that's not going to change. Injuries are going to happen every single week. You know, knee injuries, ankle injuries, elbow injuries, and head injuries. They're still going to happen. Now, you try and minimize the head injuries as much as you can with some of the rules they said. But as I said, it's never going to be a safe game. It's a violent game where guys are going to get hurt and sometimes they're going to get hurt really bad. And here's the balance. And we saw this play out in the Buccaneers game last night. Chris Collinsworth had some comments about it, very appropriate on the air. Rodney Harrison and Snoop Dogg talked about it on the postgame show. The idea that any given receiver, every given receiver, would rather take the high hit than the low hit. And, hey, look, the, 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 the attitude is a concussion goes away. And I know short-term, that's the focus. Long-term, maybe more of a problem. But short-term, I'd rather have a concussion that most likely is going to heal in a week or two than have a torn ACL or a serious knee injury. And we saw that low hit on Chris Godwin and just that's the reminder. And I don't know if we're going to get to the point where there's a strike zone for receivers like there is for quarterbacks in the pocket, but maybe that's the next step. We're seeing the NFL evolve away from the low hits. Early on, after the concussion epiphany in October of 2009, the NFL focused on minimizing the hits to the head and neck area of certain types of players, typically those in a defenseless posture. Now we're seeing the NFL start to take care of that other side of it, the dangerous low hits. We have the, the change this year in the rules about the low blocks. And the way football's always been, and the reason they've encouraged low blocks and low hits is that's the only chance little guy has against big guy, Mike. So if, you know, if the game does indeed change in, in a way that eventually eliminates these low hits that could tear up guys' knees – there's going to be a premium placed on the biggest, strongest guys because everything is going to be straight up face-to-face -face without anyone having that ability to cut out someone's legs. You know, there, there's, there's a, a decent amount of layers to this, and I heard Chris talk about it. In fact, when I, when I was doing radio and TV, I've had Chris on more than a few times, and he has said this on my show more than a few times. You know, hit me up top, don't hit me down low. And, and listen... I get it. Even as, even as a, a defensive lineman, you know what? I mean, we were so used to, and this again is part of where we were and where we came from. You hit me in the head and I got stung. I knew I was still going back in the game. It would have had to take a lot to keep me out. You blow my knee out. I know I'm not going back in the game. Not only that, I'm not going to play again for a year. And that's my livelihood. For receivers, if you de you're dealing on speed and quickness, now all of a sudden you're rehabbing an ACL, you may not be as fast or you may not be as quick, which means your career may be over sooner than you think, where you believe a concussion, I'm going to heal quicker than that, and I'm going to be back in the game. Now, we have certainly learned over, over the years how much more damaging a head injury can be. But I'll still say this, Mike, guys still want to be on the field. Guys still would rather take that chance because they understand their livelihood. They could be done. This is a short-term business. Guys love football, but you love the money that comes along with it. 
and it's a short-term business already, and if your career gets shortened because of a blown-out knee or a, or a dislocated ankle because someone took you out low, man, that, 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 that will bump, bug a guy more than the high hit. And as far as guys going lower, listen, guys have gone low on tight ends all the time, right? Because they're small and tight ends are big. The reason they're going low now across the middle is because even if they try and hit, we talk about a strike zone. Even when you try and hit a strike zone, we've seen many defensive backs aiming for the chest area. But what happens when the receiver catches a ball, his level comes down. And when his level comes down, while the DB is aiming for the chest, they end up hitting the guy in the head. They get flagged and they get fined. They're losing 30-some thousand dollars. So they're like, well, what the hell is this? I'm going to take all target out of the equation, and I'm going to take them out at the knees or the ankles. That way I know I'm not going to hit them in the head and get the flag and get fined. And on the other side of that is the receiver saying, damn, that's my livelihood you're hitting right now. It's a, it's a tough situation. This game, I'll still say it, has gotten more difficult for defensive backs than anybody else in the league. From not being able to touch a receiver to now where you hit a receiver. And now you finally say, well, well screw it. I'm just going to go low. And now they're, now they're going to start looking at that more and saying, ah, we don't want the knee injuries. These guys are in a, in a tough, tough spot on where they're supposed to hit somebody. I remember there was a point when Larry Fitzgerald, who currently is retired, but who knows when he may dust it off and jump on board a Super Bowl team. I wouldn't blame him if he did because it looks like he could still play. He would tell defensive backs, hit me high, don't hit me low, and if you get fined, I'll pay the fine. And, uh, you know, that's what the receivers would prefer. All players would prefer that because the concussion is a much shorter-term injury than having your knee blown out and the guys who are in their 20s and even in their 30s aren't thinking about the long-term potential cognitive effects of that concussion that they may end up suffering. Um, but the bottom line is the uh, the Bengals get the victory. They moved to 8-6, and six, pending Tonight's game against the Browns and the Raiders, they may end up being in first place as of Christmas morning. The Steelers have a chance to be in first place eventually in the AFC North because they pulled off an unlikely win over the Titans after that deflating and heartbreaking loss to the Vikings down 29-0, coming back and almost forcing overtime. They they dig out of a hole against Tennessee, and it's just one of those grinded-out Pittsburgh Steeler victories. There's no one who really stood out other than T.J. Watt, because he always does. But, you know, it wasn't some dramatic offensive performance. It was just opportunistic, creating turnovers, forcing the other team to make mistakes in at Heinz Field with the towels waving and Renegade playing. It's just that Steelers football. I don't care how many points you're favored to win by. You show up in Pittsburgh any given day, regardless of who they have healthy and available, there's a chance you're still going to lose. Oh, listen, I agree. I mean, the Pittsburgh Steelers had 168 yards of total offense. They weren't, they weren't moving the ball. But defensively, they have four sacks, five fumbles for Tennessee. They lose three of them. Tennessee has an interception as well. So, yeah, I mean, it was Pittsburgh taking advantage of those opportunities. They sure like having Joe Hayden back, who missed the last month. Hayden made that great tackle on the fourth down, and, and the spot was unbelievably a gift spot that was made it almost a first down, first down that would have been completely overturned by review. But a nice play by Hayden, you know, after, after missing a month. So, good, tough. Listen, this is what you expect out of the Steelers. Good, tough defense. That's how they play. You'd love a little more out of their offense, and occasionally we've seen it this year. But overall, this isn't a high-flying offense. Their defense is going to take them as far as they are going to go, and their defense was pretty impressive yesterday.
We, we had that Gene Steratore moment. Where's the index card? Where's something we can stick down there to yeah. see if it's a first down? I mean, it looks like a first down. And that's the thing about that's that orange stick. You move the orange stick just a little bit off of the 90-degree axis, and it's a first down. You move it the other way, and it's not a first down. And, and Mike, I, I know people around the league who are baffled by the fact that in this day and age, with all the technological advancements that are available, when it's time to determine the very important question of whether or not a team managed to consume 10 yards of field position in order to retain possession of the ball, that that decision is determined by two orange sticks and 30 feet of chain link. That, that is the lowest tech, but... The reason the NFL still does it, one of the big reasons, they love moments like that. The moments of pulling the stick, putting it down. The drama of whether or not the team got it. And every once in a while you get one of these crazy ones of did they get it or didn't they? But like you said, it wouldn't have mattered because replay review would have moved the ball. It's obvious when you watch that angle. The, the ball, the helmet doesn't matter. The rest of the player doesn't matter. Shoulder pad over the 10-yard no. line doesn't matter. The ball never got close to the 10-yard line, and it was clear that the stick was on the other side of the 10. So that wasn't going to be a first down, but it was still fun to have that 20 seconds of chaos as they tried to figure out what was going on. Uh, listen, I, I agree because I, I'm with you. How, how many people talk about it with technology? How do we not have another way of deciding it's a first down? But I'm with you, running the chains out, everybody's watching, you know, so I, I still think there's a moment. To me, the most ridiculous thing about a ref seeing if it's a first down or where they put it is the quarterback sneak or a running play in the end zone. We saw it with, with Ben Roethlisberger the second time when he got in. Literally, the play is over, the referees are running in and digging through the pile. Imagine what can happen if you're on the ground, just scooch forward and have the ball over the goal line. By the time the refs get there, dig through the pile of players, and then 15 seconds after the player's over, they look at each other and they go, yeah, what the hell, touchdown. You know, you're across the line. I mean, it's one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen. So I, I get the drama of the first down and the change, even though you think modern technology could take care of that. But I don't think I'm ever going to get used to, was it a touchdown or not? Let's wait for 15 seconds while we dig through this pile of humanity where everybody can move underneath the pile, you know, while the refs are, are, are running in to give yourself a touchdown. At least on the Joe Hayden stop, we were able to see it. You're right. We get these scrums. And I think it's funny to observe the politics of the officiating crew. You get a sense of, of, of where the personalities are prioritized. When you see the headlinesman on one side of the field and the side judge on the other, and they're in two different spots at the end of the play, and you see them approach each other, who yields to the other yeah. one? One of, them, one of them moves. Sometimes they meet in the middle, but you see them coming in, and there will be very different spots because you watch them as they come in horizontally, folks. That's where they believe the ball is, and they'll be watching their partner on the other side, and it's not always a mirror image, and sometimes you'll see that movement toward the <laughs> middle, but they don't know. They just don't know, and if you, would, if you would have the ball completely covered in some sort of technological mapping a capability where you would know exactly where the ball is in relation to the field. We see it in tennis. We see it in other sports. Then it wouldn't be a question, but that would take some of this chaos and fun out of it. Let's hear from Joe Hayden real quickly on making the play that preserved the victory that moved the Pittsburgh Steelers to seven, six and one. 
we were in a we were in a man to man call. So when my receiver ran in, I thought he was setting a pick play for the inside receiver to run a wheel route. So uh, I was expecting him to throw the ball, but I had my heels on the first down marker. So I was just sliding inside. And then we threw it to him. I just knew if I tackled him and made him go backwards instead of forwards, there was no way he was going to be able to get the first down. That's the key, knowing where the sticks are and keeping the guy behind it. Earlier in the drive, Deontay Foreman coming back after suffering an ankle injury. It looked like he was done for the day. Three plays later, he came back and they had him behind the sticks and he kept driving and he kept charging and he got the first down. So Joe Hayden, even more aware of the importance of getting the guy behind the sticks and keeping him behind the sticks. It was a great play by him. And thank goodness it was just the two of them. So we could see without any dispute where the football was, Mike. Oh yeah, there was no doubt where it was. And how refreshing to hear my feet. I was on the line. He, he, the awareness is so important because how many times do you see a defender playing behind, back past the first down marker? And you're, you're essentially giving them the first down. I mean, I loved hearing that. I mean, I knew where my feet were. So if he's getting past me, it's a first down. So basically my job is keep my feet on the first down line and go forward and he's not getting the first down. That was great to hear and, and unfortunately just not done enough. The uh, and it's it's uh, almost confusing that he's on the same team as uh, the receiver who got the first down and uh, was celebrated and wondered why they were trying to get the ball from him and 14 seconds yeah. elapsed uh, yeah. 10 days earlier when they lost to the Vikings eventually. Um, let's go ahead and take a break. Well, let me mention a couple other things because we, we, we do we do need to uh, give some credit to some folks who had some significant accomplishments yesterday. T.J. Watt now has 17 and a half sacks on the season, which set the Steelers franchise single season record breaking the record that had been held by James Harrison so that was a big moment for TJ Watt who really is doing special things and he is racking up a ton of sacks at an historic pace early in his career and Ben Roethlisberger late in his career passes up Philip Rivers for fifth place on the all-time passing yardage list that happened uh, fairly early in the game because it only took 27 yards to get there but Roethlisberger currently number five he's got to worry about Matt Ryan who'll get there in a year or two if Ryan keeps playing and I assume he will but for Roethlisberger to retire this year as he presumably will number five overall in passing yard it's just a heck of an accomplishment for a guy that's also got a couple of Super Bowl rings Mike yeah what, what a class too. him and Rivers and Eli Manning you know what they were able to accomplish we talk about first-round quarterbacks, and that group, they're kind of tied together uh, for all time, and you certainly don't hit that kind of percentage uh, for sure. You see way more bust than these are three guys, you know, three Hall of Fame guys. It's pretty impressive coming out of this group. And, and with T.J. Watt, you know, listen, Micah Parsons deserves all the talk that he's getting, but if T.J. Watt isn't the defensive player of the year right now, right, I mean, that that would be where I would lean. I know Micah Parsons should should certainly get some some love for that. Without, he's going to be the defensive rookie of the year without question and should be right in the team picture for defensive player of the year. Maybe win it. We'll have to wait and see. But T.J. Watt and what he's doing. And again, it's not all just about sacks. We just talked about the player against Baltimore, and Baltimore tried the two-pointer of him not getting sucked down on the play action and staying where he should. He's just a great player right now that, uh, that, that could be right at the top of his game of any defensive player in the league right now. And, and, and look, there's three games left, okay? He came back from a groin injury that he suffered against the Vikings. Um, and there were questions about whether or not he was going to play. And he looked a little banged up at the end yesterday. But there's three games left. 
and he's got 17 and a half. He's five short of the record. I mean, we've seen guys go off and have five sacks in three games. We've seen guys have, you know, four or five sacks in one game. When Jared Allen made his push for the record late in the 2011 season, there was a game, I think maybe against the Bears late in the season, where he just went nuts and, and almost caught Michael Strahan's record. So T.J. Watt still has a chance to become the all-time single-season sack leader, and that would probably cement defensive player of the year for him if he did it. And maybe, maybe if he's close, he'll get a quarterback to slide in front of him. You know, and that's right. Give him an easy you sack never know. To help get the record. <laughs> yeah. You never know when a quarterback's <laughs> going to call that audible, roll out to the right, while the other other ten guys on his team look at him and say, "What the hell are you doing, Brett?" And give him that sack. That would be fitting. That would be poetic if it ultimately happens. Uh, let's go ahead and take a break. We've mentioned a few times the Browns play tonight. If you haven't been paying attention to the NFL, you've been saying, what the hell, they played Saturday. No, they didn't. And Washington and Philly didn't play on Sunday. And the Seahawks and the Rams didn't play on Sunday. It's all a result of the Omicron variant wreaking havoc on the NFL. Where it stands and how we got there, we'll discuss that when PFT Live continues right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack and save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag & Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joes, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses, plus updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? <laughs> 